Hello there and a very warm welcome to another episode of the Get Football Tactics podcast. I'm your host Neil Shelat and as always I'm delighted to say I've been joined by Alex Barker. How are you Alex? Hello, I'm okay. It's very early over here. Um for reasons we just spoke about off camera and your wonderful timing. Um but yeah, I'm doing okay. Yep, my pleasure. And well, uh, we've got a bit of team news for you. Um Varun is out on parental leave so he'll be out for uh, an an undetermined period of time but obviously in in all seriousness uh, big congratulations to him he's just become a father for the first time so obviously you might not hear from him for a while but in the meantime i'm delighted we've got alex 3.0 joining us from last week because alex you're going to have to do the job of two people <laughs> for the foreseeable future so i'm i'm, oh, I'm, I'm counting on you <laughs> Oh, right. I loved how you described it as team news. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we we did do a bit of squad rotation, you know, in in the build up to this. But uh, at the end, we're gonna have to go with our first choice um, lineup. All right. Um, let's let's get into our topic for today. We will be talking about Roma, as you might have guessed from the title. Um, I mean, obviously, we'll talk about what went wrong with Mourinho and. what's wrong with Mourinho himself but there's already been a lot of talk about that so we also want to focus a good deal on what's wrong at Roma themselves because they are i mean like like the the sort of the structure at the club behind the scenes is i would say equally responsible if not even maybe slightly more responsible for the mess they're in so we do want to take a good close look at what's going on there so that's why we'll obviously talk about the tactical issues but then there's also some questions we have about the recruitment and squad building and that sort of stuff so that's all the things we'll dive into first we'll obviously touch on daniele de rossi um and see what we have to expect from him but uh, at the end we'll finally go for sort of our suggestions for how you, how you might improve because roma are not in a great position as we'll touch on later they have the third highest wage bill in serie a FFP wise things are not looking great and they're far from the third best team in Serie I mean they might miss out on Europe altogether so they 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 do need some work so that's the the overall agenda for today I don't think we really need to give a lot of background about the club Roma everyone has heard of them everyone knows about them definitely don't need to give a lot of background about Mourinho but I think it's worth mentioning that since he joined obviously that was a massive massive achievement um that he he led them to which was the Europa Conference League title um in the summer of 2022 that was their first uh, title of any sort i believe in almost a decade and a half and that their first european title for a, a very very long time if not forever um so that was a, a great high they got to the europa league final as well the next year um but in the league they've never really impressed not broken past sixth spot and as he was sacked um they were down in eighth i believe or or rather ninth they've played um this weekend so that's i guess a bit of context that we've set now let's let's dive into it so let's first start with talking about what went wrong from a tactical point of view uh, any thoughts on that alex yeah it's quite an interesting one for mourinho at roma because when he first joined Obviously he was coming off the back of being sacked by Tottenham and I think that is easily his worst um worst spell at a club in his in his career 
uh, Man United, he, he, Man United won the Europa League and he did manage to finish second next season. At Chelsea, even when he you know was on course to get them relegated the year before he won the Premier League title. So, but at, at Tottenham, um, it, it just got very toxic very quickly and it didn't achieve much at all. So when he was coming to Roma, I think a lot of people were saying he was done. Uh, but I think there were two things going in his favour. Um, the first thing was uh, Italy. Uh, Italian players generally are a bit more receptive to tactical instructions. And, and there's a lot more of a sort of um, boss-employee dynamic in Italy. So th- this has been written about in quite a few books I've read, where in the Premier League, you know, you'll often you'll see players rebel against the manager a lot more quickly whereas in Syria uh you know you people would have heard about the retreats they do where the manager or the sporting director orders the club to orders the team after they've had a few bad results to go on a retreat to spend a few days and nights together like in a hotel where they're just separate from their families and their players just accept it and uh, I think you see it as well in the league. It was a reflection of like there's quite a lot of detailed tactical systems, um, a lot of man-to-man systems going on at the moment. Where players are just expected to fulfil uh, diligent tactical instructions. So Mourinho, the positive for him there is third season Mourinho, maybe a little less likely because hopefully his players will just answer to him a lot more and question him less, which I think became a problem at Tottenham where near the end, it was like, what are we doing? Uh, why are we following Mourinho? The second thing that appeared to be going in this direction was he definitely, at least publicly, made it look out like he had a sort of renewed outlook and was trying to evolve a bit more. And I remember when he joined, I don't know if you remember, uh, on platforms like Instagram and stuff, he was uh, posting pictures of him. Oh, yeah. His, his tactical research. You know, like I think there was one on a plane where he had like a couple of screens and monitors up, and it was like you know hard at work. So he clearly seemed to be changing, and I think the big consequence of he that... hasn't posted recently, has he? Oh, uh, maybe that's the explainer. Then. Yeah, that's that's, that's why I got sacked. It was nice. It, it was nice to talk to you this morning, and uh, we'll be here back in next nice week. Nice podcast. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the consequences of that, I think, was. Uh, permanently switching basically to a back three. Uh, he used it, I think, in every game last season. I've got who scored up on one of my monitors. Uh, so he used it every game in the Europa League last season and um, all but three league games uh, last season and the majority of his first season as well. This 3 5 2 slash 3 4 3 formation. Where, of course, Mourinho's famously always been associated with the four double pivot, 3 1. Um, so and I think at first he was that was viewed as quite a progressive change. Like as I said, he's trying to evolve, he's trying to do better. But I think as we get into the issues, uh, what what that change and what what that change has ended up for not forcing but guiding him to do is become even more defensive, even more. Let's sit back and counter Roma's teams. Uh, but especially over the past year, have been characterised just by, against big teams, sitting in a deep block or in between a deep and a mid block. Uh, very flat back five. 
and uh, just grinding out games, being very awful to watch. Uh, and that's happened against smaller teams as well, where they struggle to score. Like they watched them against Bologna recently, and they had this problem where, like, the location they go forward and press, but the back five just seal seems to want to sit back. Um, yeah, the Mourinho over the past three years, while on the surface it might have looked like he was trying to. Well, it's a harsh way, but maybe on the surface he looked like he's becoming more a more progressive manager, uh, maybe a more varied manager. I think what we've actually seen is him become even more defensive, and obviously I think that's had some knock-on effects that you want to talk about. Yeah, it's. I mean, as you say, it's it's like obviously there's one thing which is like you know switching formations and that sort of stuff. Could, could you hear the the siren? <laughs> Yes, that, that that that's Mourinho um, searching for a new job. Anyway, um, <laughs> so obviously the one thing is like the the formation and the shape and whatever you use, but but then the other thing is the or maybe more intent, more important is the intent, right? Like what do you want to do um, within whatever shape and structure you have? And we we spoke about this like with Bologna last week, um, in, in in the sense that obviously like their 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 structure and stuff matters, but but their intent is really important. Like they want to progress the ball in certain ways through certain rotations, whatever, whatever. So I think that's the main thing which was lacking at Roma or indeed like with Mourinho in general, because like, so so he, he plays what this 3-5-2 slash 3-4-3, which usually what you have um, is in possession. It's either like a 3-2-5 or a 3-1-5-1 type thing. Um, so you generally obviously have the number six, um, and then you'll have one of the number eights this season, generally the one on the right, who would be maybe Cristante, maybe Paredes, someone who will either drop in to form a double pivot or push up and sort of add to the attack and leave like a 3-1 base, right? But that's basically the only rotation you got in the whole team. And then obviously you're like, the ball are drifting around and stuff, but, but that's it. It was all very stagnant. Um, there's just no, I mean, there's like just no sort of, you know, serious efforts to to progress the ball. And I, and I and I don't mean that in terms of like passion and determination and that sort of stuff. I mean like tactically, there's just nothing in place to help the players get any structural advantages. They don't have the personnel advantages because their squad is not the best in the world, which we'll touch on later. But Especially you, you look at that sort of that, that defensive base and the wing backs as well. There's no one who you look at and you think, okay, yeah, that guy's gonna progress the ball for us. That guy's gonna get it done. There's there's no player of that sort. Um, and then there's no structure that maybe helps these, let's say, less naturally progressive players to progress the ball. So then what you get is Roma being 15th for forward passes percentage in Serie A this season. What you get is there's no player in the entire team who is even in the top 25 of Serie A in terms of expected assists this season. There's no ball progression through the middle. There's no creativity in the final third, um, and 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 that, that that's that's simply it. You know, <laughs> I mean, they they just can't like you, you could genuinely give Roma the ball um, and sit back, and your job is done. The two games in which they have had the most possession this season. Um, 71% against Elas Verona and Genoa. They've lost 2-1 and 4-1. Um, 
I think that says a lot. But you can genuinely give the ball to Roma and have a better chance of winning the game almost. That's sometimes how bad they can be in possession. And then out of possession, there's another um, sort of raft of issues because they haven't been that... I mean, the least you'd expect from Mourinho is, you know, defensive solidity. But like in half the season in Serie A this time, they only have like five clean sheets. Um, and even if you look at ex- uh, expected goals against, they're like sixth in the league. Uh, and again, it's now the thing with the back three is this is maybe a bit of a different discussion, but as a general rule, we can say that it's tougher to press successfully with a back three slash back five than it is with a back four. I mean, you know, obviously, because of having you know one extra center back takes one player away from the forward areas, which leaves you with more numerical deficiencies there. So while Roma have started in a higher block. To be fair to them, they haven't tried to press a lot like intensely themselves. But even while they've started higher, often in a player-oriented block, something like a 3-5-2, um, 3-4-1-2, depending on how the opposition's midfield is, um, they've always been forced back. Uh, because they, I mean, one is they're not really trying to press that hard, so they're naturally sort of dropping back as well. But two is even on the occasions they're pressing, they're easily getting played through. And so that's why I think they're like in the bottom five of the league for high turnovers this season. And and, and that t- totally makes sense when you watch them. And then even when they drop back, the least you would expect from Mourinho is a good low block, a good solid low block tough to break down. But even there, they've had weaknesses in this ba- back five because earlier when he played 4-2-3-1, you'd generally drop into a 4-4-2 low block. And the 4-4-2 is a very good shape for like all sorts of vertical and horizontal coverage it's 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 a good solid shape to defend deep but with the 532 what you get is you obviously have that five across the back with good coverage but then the three and two further up so in midfield you're quite narrow um and you have to figure out a way to make that work so either that's with the wing back stepping up uh, on the ball side to sort of add the numbers there or you need some you know really hard working midfielders who shuttle from side to side to get, get a lot of that coverage. But Roma don't have those players. I mean, many of their midfielders are on the older side, uh, don't have that sort of endurance and stamina to run around all day. So what you'd get is they'd easily get switched from side to side. So the opposition, let's say, has the ball on the left. The midfield three comes across. It's a massive gap on the far side where Roma basically just have a wing back. The opposition might have a winger, might push up a full back or a wing back, and boom, they've got an overload. It's, it's, it's really simple, really basic. But... You know, like, in, in in almost all phases of the game, Roma had weaknesses. And, I mean, when it's, when it's, when you're there, I think the decision to sack the manager is only going to be natural. So, yeah, I think briefly I would say those were the main tactical issues. Anything to add, Alex? Or shall we dive into the numbers? Um, I, I, I think, I think uh, that is, Pretty much it summed up. I guess in possession as well, it's worth saying, like, well, this is a good transition, right, uh, into what we're about to talk about as well. Um, I mean, in, our, in our doc, we've got our numbers and then we've got reliant on individuals. It's probably a better place to put reliant on individuals. It's a better um, transition than Roma have managed all season. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Because, yeah, but especially in possession last season, they're extremely reliant on Tammy Abraham 
and uh, Paolo Dybala, where at, at, Roma were quite direct, especially, I think it was the second half last season, when they'd hit a long to Tammy Abraham, looked for him to win knockdowns, uh, for Paolo Dybala to win it. And obviously Dybala, while he may be inconsistent a little bit in front of goal, what he's always been really good at is ball security. Like, you know, very agile player, very good dribbler. So he can hold the play up and then Roma go forward. And that would be how they attacked. Uh, and I just think that they, while we're about to talk about the bad aspects of their recruitment, that um, they uh, they became extremely reliant on the fact they had like some very very good players. So I've got in the stats that won't be a shock to you because you've already read them. Um, with Dybala last season in Syria, uh, they won fourteen of twenty five uh, league games. Um, Without him, they won just four from 13. It's such a massive difference what that makes. And I, I get, and then you have got Terry Abraham, who is, while he's a, a quite, I think it's still a serial uh, underperformer in terms of expect goals. Like after him, the drop off would have been huge. I think you're, at that point, you're going to uh, Andrea Bellotti, who's never really kicked on in Roma. Um, yeah, it's. Like, not only is it, you know, issues in possession and certainly out of possession, but it's classic Mourinho, where if the individuals aren't quite good enough, it feels like the team kind of falls apart and he's unable to turn, like, the... He's unable to turn middling players into super ones. He's done well with a couple of youngsters, like uh, Nikola Zaleski, I think is how you say his name. He's kind of played all over the place, left wing back uh, being one. He's had a very nice emergence um, at the club, uh, but generally, it's not been like it's very much been reliant on basically Dybala. And one one other aspect to throw in, I've got your hand up, is um, I'm sure you'll agree as well. Even though the stats, I'd say they don't back it so much, and maybe it's because they don't count managers. Roma constantly like breaking up games Mourinho it felt like at least constantly getting sent off or yellow cards especially last season I know at the start of this year he made it like his resolution not to get sent off because uh, he added so much last year like he still got sent off a couple of times so yeah I think <laughs> the, I think the, the joke was he got sent off in time to not face his former club Inter Milan um which was the the alleged theory but yeah like they're just so draining. Like imagine being a Roma fan like, and you're constantly having to get wound up at this, and constantly what he was getting wound up about refereeing decisions. Like this is why Mourinho doesn't last that long because it just gets so toxic so quickly because he forces it. Yeah, but actually, you know, on that point, we take a step back maybe a bit. But I think at Roma, his departure has been like the least toxic in my memory, at least because I mean, you look at the fans. There's, I mean, many of like the, I mean, like when he was leaving or even like at the match um, yesterday, we're recording this on Sunday, there is still like a pro Marine, not all the fans, obviously, but like at like Tottenham, for example, like every single Tottenham fan wanted him gone. At Roma, there's a decent pro Marino sentiment among the fans. And definitely in the dressing room, it wasn't nearly as toxic as Spurs because right, the, yeah. the, the players didn't hate him, right? And as you say, with youngsters especially, he he did a pretty good job. I think there was that in, famous uh, the viral interview clip with, was it Eduardo Bove or one of the academy graduates basically, which was nice. So like man management wise and everything, he was fine this time, I thought. 
Um, yeah, I mean, by toxicity, I don't and, necessarily and mean between. Yeah, I don't necessarily mean between him and the players. I just mean in general, like every yeah, game yeah. about like like you, game, you're getting like, wound up about something, whether it's you, him or the referee, something. Yeah, you can't like as much as managers use it as a distraction tactic. You can't complain about the referee every single game you lose, and like, and not just complain about like in general sense. Like he would do it in quite grandiose ways. And like you know, that more not conspiratorial, but well, like oh, Roma get it again. This is just our luck. Like that's such a toxic attitude to have. The whole us against the world thing, but yeah, yeah, it it only gets you so far. Yeah, you could do that subtly, like Antoine Sokolu, like his successor, one of his successors at Tottenham, rather. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We're forgetting the other man in the room, but. I think he's cultivated that sense because he's gone, right, it's going to be my way or the highway and we're going to build towards the way I want to play, which is fair enough. But Ro- Roma have the us for them mentality because they think everyone's out to get them. Like, yeah. It's just so draining. Yeah, that's right. And also maybe circling back to one of the points you made uh, tactics-wise, you know, as you said, they're quite direct last season. I think this is also another one of their issues this season. Do you want to guess, unless you've already checked this, where Roma rank in Serie A in terms of direct speed this season? They rank really low, don't they? Yeah. Like, I, think... I, 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 I didn't, I looked at the Opta team style graphic earlier this week in Serie A, so I can't tell you the number, but I could tell you they rank uh, bottom right. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that, that, that's really low. But do you want to guess, like, the rank? Um... Uh, I'm going to guess, like, 18th. That's absolutely spot on. Wow, look at me go. Alex 3.0 yeah. Alex 3.0. <laughs> uh, yeah, but so... the, I mean, obviously, that generally suggests that you're going to play like a slow and intricate, you know, possession-based style. You can break down opponents. But as we said with Roma, it's nothing. They're just slowly circulating the ball meaninglessly at this point. Like, at least they used to go direct and do something last season. But this season, they're not even doing that. Because they're like fifth bottom for direct attacks as well. So, it's just all falling apart. I wonder if that's a consequence as well of like, I I I I wonder in their first season, Lamborghini. I bet they were able to get away with, and that sexy get away with being more direct because more teams would, I don't know, try and press, like step up and press. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this season, I think a lot more teams. Everyone's just... realized you can just leave them with the ball and be like, yeah, do what are you gonna do? <laughs> Yeah, like Mourinho famously doesn't want possession. I haven't checked his possession rank, but I assume Roma are fairly high this season. Yeah, they're like sixth, which is like 53.8% is not that massively high, but I, I don't think an ideal Mourinho team would really want to be there, at least at no. least the way he plays now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think let's also maybe now transition a bit to some of their... Or address rather, because one of the the sort of pushbacks I've seen from the people who are still pro Mourinho, to them I would say it is the year of our Lord 2024, um, <laughs> but one of the pushbacks I've seen is that their underlying numbers are actually not that bad, and they're fourth in Serie A if you look at XGD, which is, I mean, true, but I would urge you to consider some context. So, uh, the, the 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 main avenue of their relative underperformance has been, I mean, the, like the, the, their XGD uh, is plus 0.87 uh, and their goal difference 
is plus 9. So for 1, it's in a massive difference there. For 2, if you look at their XG, which is 23.8, they've actually overperformed it by scoring 34 goals. And as we've said, their attack has been the worst, or arguably one of the worst aspects um, of their play. Their defense has been uh, eh, somewhat decent, um, but not really that good by Serie A standards because, I mean, they've only conceded 19.6 XGA, which is under one a game, but they're still sixth. And they have conceded a few more goals. Uh, but the main thing I want to address is where those big goal defense swings have come. So the thing with Roma, especially with their attacking numbers, is that there is a crazy amount of variance. Do you want to guess how many times they have accumulated uh, two or greater than two XG in a match in Serie A this season, Alex? Oh, low. Is it not? Do you guess? I reckon it's like six times. Actually, I'm kind of torn here because on one hand, it could be really low, like um, six times because they've just not created that much. On the other hand, it could be because they've gone behind the game and uh, created lots of small chances. But I don't think that would add up to two XG. So I'm going to guess three times. It's five times. So you're close initially. Uh, And and if you you also take the 1.91, then it's seven. But you look at those games, the top two is a 4-1 win over Cagliari and a 7-0 win over Empoli, which is basically what has given them their massive goal difference, <laughs> single-handedly almost. And then if you look at how many times they've scored less than one XG, rather accumulated less than one XG a game, do you want to take a guess on that as well? Uh, say it again. Less than one XG in a league match this season. Uh, yeah, I see. I don't think that will be this that low. I'm gonna guess um, how many times they've done that. I'm gonna guess hmm. eight eight times. Seven. So very close again. But yeah. th- the point is, you- you'll get those games th- like Thrash Empoli seven nil, and then the week before that, you've lost to Milan, having created nothing. And then the the, uh, the week after that. Uh, I forgot what they did. Yeah, the week after that, you draw with Torino, one-one. So, it's 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 just like it's crazy fluctuations. There's no consistency. All sorts of games and attack-wise, the only good attacking games they've really had is either when they've thrashed a lower table team or when they've been against like ten men. Um, because like so uh, after the top two that I mentioned. There's a 2-1 win over Sassuolo where they got 2.3 XG against a red card. There's a match against Atalanta, which is fair enough um, because Atalanta have a decent defense. But then there's Lecce, Napoli and Salernitana. And in those games as well, um, it's either been game state. So against Lecce, they scored twice in stoppage time to win it. But as you said, until then, they were basically shooting at every opportunity, I guess, to you know get the numbers up. Um so on the whole, they actually don't have any sustainable attacking production as we obviously outlined, like tactics-wise. So while their numbers may look not that bad, when you sort of look at their context, and obviously when you watch them play, it's very obvious that there's a lot going on, which is quite bad. So with that established, let's now talk about uh, the issues. Well, I wouldn't say that out of... I mean, Mourinho's not you know above these issues because like 
he's been at fault for a lot of this recruitment but then the counter to that would be that a good recruitment structure prevents him from making these bad decisions right so obviously mm. we're talking about the brilliant recruitment that roma have done uh, of late as we mentioned this but maybe i know we've got notes on this um maybe we could wait to combine it just because i've got the transfer in front would you do you want to go from the 2020 season when he joined i think he, he joined that season didn't he um yeah actually it might be a year it might be a One, year behind 21 22 no, 21 22 that's it yes yeah well, do you reckon it'd be a good idea to go through the main ones and shall we just like briefly rate them sounds good let's do it all right well Tammy Abraham was his most expensive signing in 21-22. Fair I enough. Think, I think that's really okay to anyone who doesn't know. He's had an ACL injury, right? That's why he's been out for a long time. He's not played. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, definitely been some injury. But yeah, before that, on the whole, as you said last season as well, and especially in like in relative terms, a really good signing and also like just generally a, a, yeah, a recent transfer. So... Yeah, you, you have to give them that. You can understand why they signed him. Right, next yeah. one is where it gets a bit interesting. We've got Marash Kumbula. You don't yeah. know who that is. I have not heard of this guy since 21-22. He signed for 26 million euros, which is Did the second make? most expensive signing that year. Wow. But don't worry, it gets better. We've got Elrod Shamorodov as their next most expensive signing. <laughs> Not 18 million. This is just the 2021 summer window. <laughs> yeah, uh, wow. he, I don't think he's played. I think he's, if I'm right in saying, he's the signing that Mourinho complained about the most. He's currently on loan at Cagliari, which isn't great. And injured. Uh, <laughs> and injured. Uh, yeah, he's, he hasn't scored a goal this season. For Roma, uh, if we were to get stats by a club up on Transfermarkt, uh, Eldor Shomodov, who again was a he scored some one. one crazy winning goal at some point, but I don't know if that was for Genoa or Roma. But that's the only memory I have of him in Serie A. Obviously, we won't go into this much detail each one, but I think yeah, this yeah. is one that I remember. This is maybe the first super dub. Yeah, he has six goals in forty-eight Roma games, and I'm almost certain Mourinho like went for him quite often. Um, yeah. we've got then we've got a couple okay, Mbates Vina, uh, Robert Ibanez, uh, Roger Ibanez, sorry, who's played a lot. That was a good sign, I'd say. I think you'd agree. Yeah. Um, Brian Reynolds, eight, six million euros. That went horribly. Uh, Rui Patricio, yeah, I think this is a good one to focus in on. Um, because I, I think you mean you're gonna both agree here, but I want to say my opinion first. He has played, I think, nearly every Roma game since he joined, and I would still say he's a bad signing. Yeah, I I think that's fair, and I don't know. I, I'm just checking his numbers now, just to see if there were signs of this before. And guess what? Well, there were. So in his three signs. seasons yeah, at Wolves, he's underperformed his PSXG, which is basically he's made less or he stopped less goals than the average goalkeeper would. In each of those three seasons, um, at an average of about three. First Roma season, plus 1.2. Second season, minus 6.4. This season, minus 1.8. And just last night, he conceded a pretty bad goal. Like, he let a long shot, basically. Got his hands to it, but not strong enough. And it went in. So, not that's a good one, shot stopper. Yeah, that's not one side. Of the, I that's exactly what I was... The side I wanted to say, like, this is a really negative signing because, you know, 
we always talking about how goalkeepers, even if you're not trying to play that way, they should be good with the ball at feet, like just to cope with the press. Ruby yeah, Trees should be able to get long at least. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a two thousands goalkeeper that he's not <laughs> right for this generation, which is what I, like. I, I, it's it's mind boggling that Roma went in for him and have not replaced him. But that was a, that was a really well. I remember they they traded him basically right for well. Look, Jose Sar went to Wolves, while Rui Patricio went to Roma. And was I, that I transfer fee involved, or was that like equal? No, it was just like it happened basically at the same time. It's this oh, big okay. goalkeeper trade. Um, right, right. yeah, you'd say like of that trade in the end, Roma have not come off like better. Uh, let's quickly move on to 2022 which is a quieter window a lot more free transfers um so we'll go through the 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 only one signed on business was seven million euros uh seki celik from lil um a year after winning the title good season at right back not suited to right wing back at all uh has barely played this season i think about 400 minutes um i don't know what he did last season but i'm guessing it's not that much um a couple of loan fees for Maddie Camera from Olympiacos and Diego Lorente of Leeds. Not promising. Um, Lorente, I think, has been good, though. I think he signed yeah, up. Yeah, he's been a bit. Yeah, he's been yeah. okay. Camera, let's say. Ola Solbakken from Bodo Glimt, a player lots of people are excited by, has been on loan to two clubs since he joined on a free transfer. Um, Nemanja Matic on a free transfer. Do you want to talk about him? Because uh, I feel like you have a stronger opinion on him than me. No, I think I think he's like sums up the thing I was saying about their midfield. I mean, he's definitely on the older side, so he's not going to give you that a lot of defensive work which is needed in that low block. And in possession, he's not someone who you'd think will change the world with his progression or definitely, obviously, not creation. He's a defensive midfielder, but he isn't suited to Roma's way of playing. He's a better defensive midfielder as a sitter, but Roma don't really have that role because you have to run around a lot. Um, so I think this is just symptomatic and we'll get onto this later but I I mean I just cannot wrap my head around their recruitment because they're not signing any profiles like as you said with Zeki Celik or with Matic for example like these are not profiles that have any place in the way Mourinho is playing it's like why are you signing them <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty nonsense Gorm. we'll continue that trend we've got um, we've got Mile Sevilla. Now I'm not being mean, mispronouncing his name. It's just because I've never heard of him. Uh, but he signed on a free from Benfica in 2022. Did you know that name? I just heard it. Just checked. He's a goalkeeper. I would uh, wager he's better than Rui Patricio. <laughs> I would but, wager uh... too, actually. Yeah, sorry for the disrespect, Sevilla. <laughs> uh, Paolo Dybala. We've spoken about very, very good signing. We can respect that. That's another one of the ones where I think Mourinho would argue. Wouldn't have come to Roma without him. Um, next one, Andrea Bellotti, less good, but I don't. I get. I think this is when you're gonna have a better opinion than me. Um, at the time, I just knew Bellotti as guy who gets goals in Syria or previously had done. So signing him a free on that basis makes sense. But I have a feeling you're going to tell me profile wise, he's a clash and doesn't really fit. No, no. Actually, to be honest, I, I at the time I could understand it. Um, he he gives you the option of a front two or as as obviously a lone striker. At at this time, obviously they didn't have Lukaku, right? Um, but they was, didn't yeah. have Lukaku, no. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. With yeah, this one I I'm 
I'm willing to give more of a pass on. I could see what they were doing. Didn't work out for, I mean, I guess, various reasons. Probably also he didn't really get as much game time as he might have expected, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't think this one is as bad as many of the others. So, yeah, Okay, well, that's the last one we're going to talk about for 2022. Finally, we're on to this year. Uh, right, let's go through the free ones first, because I think... And, the ones and gonna... Wait, just quickly, just to mention, the reason last year and also this year they haven't made a lot of big signings is because they spent that crazy money in what twenty twenty one about yes. like a hundred and twenty five million give or take, yes, uh, and that's basically tied them up FFP wise. So yes. they basically can't make any of big signings anymore. And because Mourinho didn't deliver Champions League football, so they've not yeah. been able to bring an extra. Revenue. They haven't got the revenue yeah. either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they spent nine million euros uh, in twenty twenty three. We'll go through the free ones first. So who's some hour off from Leon? Um, I think that had trouble written all over it. Uh, Awa has barely played this season. Um, I mean, he really was a bit part player for Leon. There were not just reports of attitude problems, like evidence of attitude problems at Leon. Um, like, I don't think much needs to be said in on that one. I think that was a, a ballsy move to try and sign him. Someone was always going to. I guess on a free, it's worth taking a risk, but definitely not worked out. Evan and Dika, I think that was a good signing. Yep. Uh yeah, that that again, like there are good ones in here that made sense. Right now, let's talk about what the money was spent. So we've got one permanent signing, which is from PSG. Leander Paredes is two and a half million euros. Any strong opinions on that one? I mean, individually, I don't hate it. Two and a half million for Paredes, yeah, decent. But in in his case, I think he's a profile which works in the midfield, but he's not the most important profile. Like once you have those solid like defensive midfielder with very good coverage, he's someone who will get you some of that progression on the ball. Um, but he needs that that sort of support, and that's where he's been lacking, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a decent idea, but again, didn't exact. I mean, it's still for two two and a half million, not the worst. Bit of I, w- I will say on the league end side, um, I remember watching at PSG and he. In big games, he'd constantly get hyped up as like a, you know, wow, this player's so good. Why don't PSG play him more? Um, I think PSG fans have consistently complained about him because he's a lot more inconsistent than his like big game performances. Yeah, like, yeah. Often creating an image of, so it's worth throwing that out there. Um, let's talk about Lukaku. This we've got one that I'm saving to the end for me. Um, oh, it's a question for you, but Lukaku for five point eight million euro loan fee. Again, when he arrived at Roma, big fanfare, big welcome. I think it was the airport where he arrived. Like, wow, Romelu Lukaku has joined. Um, you know, he had that big fracas in the summer about returning to Inter, but now he's at Roma. Um, his goal tally this season is. I don't. I'm not expecting to be that high. Uh, I don't know if you've got it. I at would hand. guess not... in the league. Yeah. Yeah. I would guess seven. It's actually nine, but not bad. I'm, yeah, I'm wondering if that has been inflated. How many did he score against Empoli? <laughs> <And at> seven. <laughs> okay, so there's two things to look up there. Uh, so Lukaku, in terms of non-penalty goals, ah uh, uh, yes, he has got. Uh, yes, uh, it, it, go, it drops down to. I don't know. So he's had a penalty. He just missed it. Yeah, it's just one. No, he's, he's got 
Oh yeah, he's missed it. Yeah, you're right. So yeah. nine non-penalty goals. Fair enough. Yeah, fair um, enough to him. And then you want to check his goals against Cagliari? Did you say? Yeah, I think it was Cagliari and Empoli, but I think he's just got two, so he's he spread them out. So, you know. What? Okay, fair enough. So he's, he's enough. been okay. Fair enough yeah. to him. One that's not fair enough is Renato Sanchez. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> Renato Sanchez, uh, I want you to guess, because I, I was looking up at the background, which is why I was a bit disjointed in my voice and my narration. Uh, so I, there was quite a lot to count. How many <laughs> injuries do you think he has had since the beginning of the 2020-21 season, the season he won the league with Lille? And I, uh, by since injuries, the beginning? Yeah, I've since the beginning, so the last basically four years. Well, yeah. you know, three, three and a half years. Three and a half, and, yeah, whatever. I've not just counted everything on trans on transfer marks. I've gone through it. I've gone away from things like influenza, like these are actual injuries, not bruises. Injuries, separate injuries, separate time out uh, since the, the beginning of the twenty twenty one season. Seven, seven, way off. Seventeen. What? Seventeen. 17. What? Separate injuries. How's that even possible? He's the most injury-prone player on the planet. Anyone could see that. So he made 20... Like, on the surface, he's not been too bad. Like, 25, 23 appearances last few seasons. Like, when you actually look at it in starts, like, he just doesn't... He doesn't play football. So I, I remember there's a... There's a great story which has been tainted by what has happened to Chris, Christophe Cartier. But at the time, this was not a... um. That's like, not a promising introduction to the story. But yeah, it's not a promising introduction, <laughs> but I'm just at the time, and maybe like that is the caveat. Like Crystal Cartier is not our nice, very nice man, and has this been revealed? But at the time, I don't remember this being fought back on. This was the season uh, Lille won the league. Um, I, I remember midway through, like Sanchez, he had like I could probably chart his history with injuries, but he he, he had a small <laughs> muscular injury. And was meant to be out for a month. And it was like a month and a half later and he was still nowhere to be seen. And Galtier was asked about this at a press conference. And he said something along the lines of, with an Austin Sanchez, it's difficult because he tries so hard during games that he flexes his muscle fibres too much, which quite quickly leads to other injuries. So we have to be really careful with him. But it's not promising when your your manager is talking about your is talking about you like you're a glass statue that needs to be preserved <laughs> in a museum. That is, yeah. In terms of starts, he made six for PSG last season and 23 appearances. He made 20 league starts really? for Lille, which is worse than it sounds. 14 in the title-winning season. One start for Roma this year because, uh, surprisingly, uh, would you believe it, Neil? He's had lots of injuries to deal with. I think he <laughs> has. He? <laughs> if, I was, if I was to bring up his injury history. Uh, right now, the 26-year-old, who, in fairness, uh, you know, is on loan, so there is a limit to how much we can take the piss here. But <laughs> like, at the same time, I don't see how the, don't see the logic. This season, he's had five separate injuries or absences. So wow. Muscular problems kept him out for two games at the beginning of the year. Then he had a hamstring strain that kept him out from September to November, and then two weeks later, he got muscle fatigue. <laughs> so you can see it's going. We yeah, missed two I see games. what he was saying. Yeah. Then he got influenza. Fair enough. Missed one game. Um. Uh, so he was out for until December twenty seventh, and then a week later, uh, he got an ankle sprain, uh, which has ruled him out for the entirety of January. Lovely. Yeah. Do you know so... what? I think I think San- this Sanchez signing basically sums up a part 
of what's wrong with Roma as recruitment, especially I think like l- last summer, they signed too many like I can fix him type players. If you know what I mean, <laughs> like like Mourinho has gone too far down that path. So obviously you have Sanchez, Aouar as well. It falls in that category. Even maybe Lukaku to some extent, because obviously he didn't have the best of times, you know, in the season before. There's just too many of these, and just like generally, all the players they're signing. And this is maybe something. The other thing which I was gonna come to is that, like, not only are they not signing, you know, ideal profiles for the way they're playing, they're not signing. And obviously, part of this is because they've been sort of their hands are tied by FFP. They're not really signing top quality players. Like, if you look at look at their squad right now, how many would you say are like genuinely pure Champions League quality players? Aren't that many. And then once you've spent your twenty six millions on Marash Kumbalas and eighteen millions on Eldor Shamurodovs, it's it's obviously gonna happen because you spend that money. You didn't get Champions League then because you spend that money on these quality of players, uh, and now you, you, you're suffering the effects of that. And then even the, the even like the and as I said, they're signing these I can fix him type players. So players who are basically out of massively out of form, maybe out of confidence, various other things. And when you're already bringing them into an environment which isn't the most conducive environment to refine your form, especially for someone like Awar or Sanchez, you know, like ball dominant midfielders. I mean, <laughs> like what what do you expect is going to happen? So yeah, this is so this is this is like. Obviously, let's say Mourinho, let's say he said, I want this, this, this players. And maybe that's, that's a, I guess, a, a, a byproduct of having Mourinho. You can't really say no to him, otherwise he'll get mad. But, you know, like a, a good recruitment structure would be like, okay, like how are you going to use Zeki Jalik in your system? Why are we signing him? Um, and maybe you can prevent some of this. But yeah, I just think like, it's obviously Mourinho is to blame for obviously the tactics, maybe even a good deal of the recruitment, but a better recruitment structure stops these moves and gets better players. Because, okay, they are hamstrung a bit by, very hamstrung by FFP. They basically need a squad overhaul, to be honest. But then, even with the low budget, you can make smart low budget signings, right? Like last two, last two windows, they've only spent about 20 million combined, I'd say. Um, with a lot of free transfers, obviously, which which obviously ties into wage bills, right? Because we've mentioned all of these players, but like when you say Paolo Dybala on a free great transfer, but then when you look at his wage bill, you're like, oh, okay. I mean, obviously, he, he costs you something. So, I mean, Dybala on a free is fine, but when you look at his wage, it's still holding back Roma FFP-wise. Um, so when you factor all that in, like again, Matic free, but probably had a good wage. Um, and Lukaku probably has a good wage this season. Sanchez, I imagine... Our as well, probably. So, actually, we do have wage numbers. Let me let me take a look at those. But um, yeah, just in general, there's a you could you could just, even in their constraints of FFP, you can work out the recruitment way 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 better than Roma have. And that's I guess we can come to the our sort of final point now. That's why I'm not optimistic about their future because they might get a ba- better manager in after sacking Mourinho. But as long as the behind-the-scenes stuff is not sorted, the recruitment is like of this level. I I just don't see how they can really improve. But yeah, you, you, you getting the wages up now, or do you want to move on to the managers? Well, I'm I'm looking for them. Uh, let me see. But uh, actually, we we can talk about uh, Daniela De Rossi quickly. In the meantime, I I don't know if you'd followed him at Spal. 
No. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know it ended badly. Yeah. It, 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 I think he had, what, like, less than 20 games, averaged less than a point a game. Didn't play the best type of goal. I mean, relegated at the end of the season, by the way. Uh, didn't play the best sort of football. Um, and, okay, I watched their game yesterday against... It was against Elas Verona, so... Well, you can't really read a lot into it, but that's, I, I mean, I, it's so tough to say what De Rossi is about because he's only managed like 17 games in senior football. At Spal, if I remember correctly, he mostly played a 3-4-2-1. Not too dissimilar to what Mourinho would do, but as we've said, they don't really have the profiles for it. Like Especially you look at those wing-backs. Maybe like on the left, you have Spinat, Zola, Zalewski, decent. But like, who do you put at right wing-back who goes forward and gives you a genuine attacking threat? So yeah. I, I I I I think probably a back four is the way to go. That's what he did last night against Elas Verona. But the tricky thing know. is, of course, like the, I think Rome have been used to a back three for a very long time. So yeah, like, no, there's that they, as well. They, like even before Mourinho and Fonseca was there, they're gonna have like a Chelsea style transition where it's just horrid to get out of a back three. Yeah, and, um, and to be fair, he I think yesterday what he did well was like out of possession, back four, back three in possession, that type of thing. He basically mixed it up, basically. So, mm. yeah, he did decently. But obviously, just one game against a really poor team in the league. So, how much can you read into that? I wouldn't say a lot. You have to give him time. But in general, I would say... Obviously, we do have to acknowledge that there's obviously the background of him having played for the club and all that. But... Even with all that considered, I think there were better managers available, like Pascal Janssen, actually, who was sacked yeah, around the same time. So I, I think, I think our manager suggestions are going to differ because I think yours are good but slightly unrealistic in Pascal Janssen. Yes. Mine is good, and one of them I think is so realistic. I'm surprised it didn't happen. Oh, okay. Well, let's just say that because I've got the the salary numbers mm-hmm. up. So. D- do you want to guess how many players Roma have at over basically six figures a week? Say, oh, what, over 100,000 a week? Yeah, euros. Uh, I, I, I'm going to just look at that lineup briefly just to guess. Actually, no, that's not a good idea. Let me look yeah, at the players on the bench. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's another part of it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to guess on to our probably. Actually, ours mm, probably not. One, two. Do you have the names attached as well? Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah, right. So I'm going to guess. I'll give you that. Uh, I'll give you the players. So which makes that. I guess Lukaku, definitely. Yep, highest paid. Dybala, definitely. Second highest. Uh, Chris Smalling? No. Ooh. He's 86,000 a week, which is still a good deal. But He uh, needs a better agent. All right, Renato Sanchez? Nope, 88,000 a week. Rui Patricio. Uh, nope, 74,000 a week. Bloody hell. Okay. Um, Leandro <laughs> Paredes? Yep, 110,000 a week. Spinazzola? Yep, no. 106. What? <laughs> so it's, it's it, like the weird structure is baffling. Evan and Dika, surely not. Nah, he's 98, but yeah, almost there. Uh, I'm, miss- I'm, I'm missing a player or two, aren't I? Yeah, you, you are missing. Two, I think. No, three. You're missing three. I'm looking at squad. I can't understand how many. Okay, I, I think there's how? one understandable one here, which is I don't know how much understandable, but Lorenzo Pellegrini, club captain. Oh yeah, yeah, no fair, fair, yeah. One twenty-four a week. 
decent player. Uh, I can't understand who you Tammy Abraham, so. 110. Okay, um, yeah, fair. Gianluca Mancini, 124. That's a bit much. Um, but you still pay him, fair. Then you've got Cristan. This is the one which, yeah. Cristan, they are 99,000 a week. A fair bit. Mm. Um, so it when, seems like more like a very high floor. Yeah, it's that's the thing. The, the, I I I don't know. I I I'd like to know who they gave this. I think maybe it's Pellegrini, probably who's started. So Pellegrini signed this contract on in 2021, 124, and since then, uh, no, sorry, Tammy. Oh yeah, it's the Tammy Abraham signing. Okay. In August 2021, in the current squad, he was the first six-figure-a-week player, right? Mm. And then after that, all these people who've got extensions, uh, five of them, uh, and obviously new signings, Dybala and Lukaku, have all been, uh, uh, you know, six figures as well. So I think maybe that signing is what kicked it off. Um, but but even like as you said, generally, it's it's not like they've spent mad amounts on one player. Maybe safe for like Lukaku and Dybala to an extent, but okay, I can still get those. But then when you're paying everyone like around a hundred thousand a week, so your total wage bill is coming to two million a week. That's when it's just bad all around, and that's why this is so tough to do. Because you know, if if it was like one or two players massively inflating it, like if Lukaku was on two fifty, you can say all right, whatever, let Lukaku go. You've got something to work with. But now you have to basically sell half the squad if you want to get the wage bill down. So I believe it's going to the uh, Manchester United problem. Ah oh yes, ah oh yes, of course. Manchester United, the, the answer to all our questions and problems. Uh, Roma, very much are a, uh, an Italian, <laughs> Italian <United>. Manchester. <laughs> uh, well, oh, shame we yeah. don't have Warren for this episode. But yes, should we talk uh, about suggestions? Because I think my suggestion was better than yours. All right, go on. Igor Tudor. I don't know why they didn't mm. sign him. I, 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 do, do you know if like he they approached him and he was like no? Uh, I'll because I wouldn't Google. put that past him. May, uh, may, yeah, maybe he looked did, at him and went, nah. did, uh, On the October on the eighth of October, there was a singular story on this website called Roma Press, um, and I can't find anything else. But basically, three months ago, they contacted him to see if he would be interested. Enjoying next season. Now, obviously, this was when Mourinho was still there, and the plan probably was he runs out his contract, we get someone new. But they didn't. So there were certainly some reports at some point. I don't know how reliable. I don't know how true. But uh, yeah, that's a very good shout, though. Yeah, surely he'll come in the summer. Like plays the back three, did very well. Marseille. He left only on personal reasons, and he's. He, he, I don't know if you see this. His words were: "One season at Marseille is worth another two or three seasons." <laughs> <laughs> he summed that up fair really enough. well. <laughs> Honestly, fair enough, uh, Igor. We get you, mate. Um, yeah, he'll he'll come in and immediately be suited to the squad. Uh, I have a. Yeah, that's, that's actually perfect signing. Uh, yeah, thank you. I have That's one rogue one. I'll let you fire another on. suggestion off first. Okay, yeah. So, well, I t- I said Pascal Janssen, um, first because he got sacked. I don't know if he got sacked from Azard first or Roma got sa- uh, Mourinho sacked Roma first, but it was like I think one day apart. Now, yes, with if if you if you get Janssen, you're committing to a rebuild without a doubt because he's not gonna play this back three style. This squad is not at all suited to him. 
the reason now obviously as you said as one part where maybe he's a bit unattainable but the reason i think roma can maybe get him is because he got sacked from az if he left az like at the end of the season or like if he resigned um then cuz like his reputation over the last couple of seasons been really good but this season he's taken a hit so that's why i think roma were, might have even had a chance but then again if i was jansen i wouldn't go there because like my reputation's already taken a hit last thing i want to do is go to a risky place so that's that succeed Mourinho, which thinking it, about that's probably why Tudor didn't want to go in straight away yeah that that yeah that that's also a, a, a possibility cuz yeah i think that's why maybe the rossi is a good guy to get cuz like at least everyone will you know the fans and everyone will immediately get behind him because of his playing history but yeah, yeah. you're right if Thinking it's like, about it, I think a lot of top clubs have been doing it. Like United and Chelsea both in recent seasons, like Chelsea sacked Potter, got in Lampard yeah. um, to give the next guy a break. Like I think United's you know, a better example. Sacked Oli, who was a yeah. fan favourite, then got Randick in before letting Eric Ten Hag come in at the end of the season, which gave him that sort of... It wasn't like... Yeah, it didn't immediately get the pro Oli guys on and Ten Hag's back until he started playing Bruno Fernandes as a centre-back. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, you, uh, you make the team worse, so then whoever comes next doesn't look that bad, even if they're not doing well. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, so my my other suggestion, and this is based on one of the teams I'm watching at the moment, I just think might be an interesting... Because I, I think my thinking is Roma, they're going to have to play a back three, like, or get someone who's going to transition them, but... A bit like a tuchel. Yeah, you have to start with a back three, probably. definitely. Probably. Yeah. So my one. Um, I think I know be... what you're saying. Do you? Are you saying uh, Bruno Topmiller? Yeah, exactly. As you've been paying attention well to my Twitter. Yeah. I yeah. Dio Topmiller. I don't think he's as good as Igor Tudor. I think he's got problems at his management. Um, but one thing he's really good at is creating a good press. Like he's pressing uh, Frankfurt's really good. Uh, I think he still has some issues against deep blocks. They. You know, he's very young and his coaching journey can figure out. <clears throat> but, yeah, I think Topmiller would be like a nice, evolved um, Jose Mourinho. The only thing is he probably hasn't got the clout um, like to handle that Roma fan base, whereas Igor Tudor does. But I always throw Topmiller out there. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a decent shot, to be fair. But, I mean, yeah, again, from his point of view, it's, it's again, a bit of a risk. Yeah, because yeah. like, you've just started at Eintracht Frankfurt. You know, it's it's a good environment. He's familiar with it, doing decently. It's a risk to take to go here, especially this early on in his career. But yeah, I guess, I mean, the, the, probably a touch more realistic than Janssen. My other shot, obviously, from last week was Thiago Motta, but that's not happening. Um, and fair enough. Um, but you know what? When we talk about fixing Roma, as I as I mentioned throughout the podcast, basically, manager is one thing. But to be honest, I would. overhaul everything including like <laughs> the the director of football so tiago pinto is i when did he come in cuz did he come in after mourinho is what i'm wondering no he brought mourinho to right oh he brought mourinho right okay but yeah he has made some very question i think that probably explains why mourinho got his way with all these signings cuz pinto was like yeah mate you do whatever you want um but yeah he's i would say equally a part of the problem because when as we said we look at the squad building look at the wage structure it's all messed up completely messed up so yeah yeah well, if if, a, if a, i'm a fixing them yeah you're fix everything <laughs> yeah well it ended up would be that i'm going to rome in march and uh, if they if they beat fire in their europa league playoff um 
then I will be uh, then there's a 50-50 chance they'll play their their home leg of the round of 16 Europa League game in Rome during the time I'm there so yeah. I might be able to go and watch uh oh, nice. Roma well, lovely well if they if they need well would you be interested in becoming their director of football <laughs> 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 wouldn't do well if that Tiago Pinto to be fair <laughs> I'll step up my Duolingo and learn as much Italian as I can. Uh, well, yeah, I think that's a, a lovely way to end the podcast. I think we, we've we've found a solution. The way you fix Roma is you hire Alex 3.0. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the job done. Uh, that could work for a lot of clubs, but yeah. Anyway, that's the end of that. So thank you very much, Alex, for your time and great job doing a dual role today. Um, you, you have to keep it up for a while, but... You can find both of us on Twitter. Um, I'm at Chalat Neil. Alex is at EuroExpert underscore. If you go to the at GetFootball EO account, in the bio, you'll find the links to all our country and sort of league-specific accounts where we're covering all the stuff that's going on right now with the transfer window, of course. Summer breaks ending, uh, so rather winter breaks ending everywhere. So season's back in full swing. And of course, the Asian Cup and AFCON going on as well. So do do keep a lookout on all of those. Um, you can find a link to everything I just mentioned in the notes or description of this episode, depending on where you're listening. And if you can, please do rate the podcast uh, as well. Uh, and and well, if you enjoyed it, give us a, a, a good review. But uh, take care um, and we'll catch you for the next episode next week with probably uh, a more interesting or, or let's say a more positive topic, let's hope. But uh, take care until then uh, and bye-bye.